Welcome to season three of the Growth Medium podcast. My name is Sarah, a second year medical student and one of the co-hosts of the Growth Medium. And I'm Mim, a biochemistry graduate from Queen Mary and I'm also a co-host of the Growth Medium. This season on the Growth Medium, we talk to experts like Dr. Nagat Arif and Dr. Eleanor Cleghorn. Together, we unpack the myths and misinformation around women's health. We are also joined by many brave individuals who honoured us by sharing their stories and experiences with things like PCOS, endometriosis and much, much more. Join us every Monday here on the Growth Medium so we can grow our mindsets together. Enjoy! A huge component of the reproductive health of women would be the menstrual cycle and the hormonal fluctuations that accompany it. There has been so many myths perpetuated by various platforms around menstrual cycle and particularly periods. Some still exist to this day. Today, we take a look at the science behind the menstrual cycle, the cyclical changes that accompany these hormones and the uterus and unpack some of the social nuances that really perpetuate the myths that have been floating around for so long. Welcome back to episode two of the Growth Medium podcast. Last episode, we took a look at the past and some of the more social aspects of women's health. Today, we dive right into the science. Yes, today we're talking about the red devil that comes unannounced every single month, almost, almost every single month, and sometimes decides to say over time as well. Yes, we're talking about the menstrual cycle. Periods, menstruation, menstrual cycle can be a huge part of many individuals' lives. Its presence or even its absence. Yeah, tell me about it. I feel like, so I've had my period for over 10 years now. By that, I mean like a regular period every month for the last 10 years, not like, oh my God, could you imagine bleeding for 10 years straight? that would be a cause for concern. But yeah, every time it comes, I feel like I'm still not prepared for the bloating, the cramps, the headaches, the PMS, the hunger. The list goes on. It goes on and on. (laughs) So there is a lot of science to unpack in this episode. We'll try and keep it as light as possible, but it's just setting a good foundation. So you can go ahead and listen to the next episodes coming up with a complete understanding of the menstrual cycle. We basically go, our bodies go through constant cyclical changes, but there is another aspect to this topic as well that we will touch upon today. And that is the taboo around periods, period talk, uh, buying hygiene products, etc., etc. Yeah, and you know what? We nicely touched upon this in our previous episode with Dr. Eleanor Cleghorn. And this taboo is spread throughout societies and with medical communities. I mean, I don't think you'll ever find a community that doesn't have um, a little bit of a taboo or a stigma when talking about periods and hygiene products and that type of thing. I mean, we have come a long way, but there is that still lingering stigma that we have yet to get rid of or shake off. So to start it off, we're going to talk about the menstrual cycle and what it consists of. Now, it mainly consists of the ovarian and uterine cycles. There are other aspects as well and other cycles that we're not going to mention today. But these, I feel, are the main ones. They overlap and influence each other. And they also have a far-reaching impact on other systems within our bodies, which we'll also touch upon later in this episode. As with all the systems in our body, there's kind of one overarching high authority. Yeah, you can take a guess for which authority that is. But um, it controls 
reveals the cyclical fluctuations of our hormones and kind of the menstrual cycle and is really what brings about the kind of symptoms. I don't want to say symptoms because that sounds like it's a disease and obviously menstruation is not a disease, but kind of the, um, I don't know, PMS symptoms, I guess? PMS, I don't know if you'd call it a disease. That's a whole another philosophical discussion. But kind of the other Maybe effects. Maybe the physiological, the physiological impact it has. Yeah, like the headaches and the mood swings and all that. There is one thing really that kind of controls Mm -hmm. all that. And that is the hypothalamus. It acts on another region of the brain called the pituitary gland to stimulate the secretion of two hormones, FSH and LH, which is a follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone. I know, quite a mouthful. These hormones go on to act on the ovaries. And so I just want to kind of bring to light how incredible these systems are because the hypothalamus when I tell you it's the size of your thumb so look behind it would be right behind your nose and it will be the size of your thumb and this is the thing that kind of controls it controls a lot of things but one of the things it does control is the menstrual cycle as uh, we mentioned earlier the menstrual cycle consists of the ovarian sorry and the uterine cycle so let's take a closer look at the ovarian one it can be broken down really into three stages the follicular phase of you oh my god whole point of (laughs) menstruation i can't say the word sorry it's broken down into three stages the follicular phase the ovulation and the luteal phase and that's probably the three phases that you've most likely heard yeah they're quite commonly known and um so the follicular phase begins from your first day of menstruation um and ends just before ovulation and then in the follicular phase you have in terms of hormonal levels you have rising levels of lh rising levels of FSH, which is the follicle-stimulating hormone, as well as your sex hormones, estrogen and progesterone. The um, the role of LH and FSH would be to stimulate the development of multiple follicles. Now, what is a follicle, you might ask? It's basically a premature egg cell that is wrapped or covered, encased in a layer of cells. And so while multiple of them do begin to develop as a response to the increasing levels of your LH and FSH hormones, only one develops due to certain signaling pathways that we will not go into today. (laughs) So wait, so this is on, is it the first day of your period that this happens? No, so this is throughout the phase, the follicular phase. So probably after, so menstruation occurs during the follicular phase, then throughout the follicular phase, you have that increasing level. It's a whole process. So I wouldn't, I don't really know the exact days that demark what happens where exactly. Well, to be honest, that's that's something that will vary woman to woman because exactly. some people, yeah. you know, we say 28 days is the average length of a cycle, but that is an average. Really it can it. go, yeah. it can be between 21 to 35 days. Exactly. So then we go on to ovulation. Now, ovulation tends to happen on like day 14, 15, and it's marked by the release of an egg, aka a secondary oocyte into the fallopian tubes. Now, an oocyte is... Um, how, what's the what's the way to say that? An egg cell, but it's not quite there yet. Yeah. It hasn't fully it hasn't fully undergone it the divisions basically. An egg cell that's trying. <laughs> an egg cell that's trying. Sure. Yeah. Sure, an egg cell that's trying, yeah. No, look. Every single month our body screams at us, please get pregnant. 
And for a lot of us, we decide that that's not what we want to do. And this is what happens. Well, yeah, at this point, LH and FSH are high up there. They're really up there. And estrogen uh, is starting to kind of slow down. Progesterone's kind of increasing. And it's interesting, right? Because you can kind of feel this stuff happen. So with obviously your changing hormones, there's different kind of behaviors that people feel so some people will feel more energetic mm-hmm. at sometimes because of these changing hormones right but i recently learned while we were recording an episode that's coming later this season that some people can actually feel themselves ovulating so that's crazy it is it's like so the way that our guest was explaining it to us was that some people are really introspective and they can kind of feel like a slight mm-hmm. twinge in their ovary or something and they just know that they're ovulating it's mind-blowing to me And so when I was doing my research, this actually came up and there's a technical term for it, which is really quite fascinating. I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this properly, but here I go. I'll give it a try. Um, It's called Mittel Smurge. Mittel Smurge. Mittel Smurge? Yeah, Mittel Smurge. (laughs) Yeah, and so that's the kind of the term that describes the pain or the twinge that people can feel. And so when they were doing research or Mm -hmm. looking into this, they found that often the pain is felt just before the follicle bursts and the egg is released into the fallopian tubes. So it's quite interesting. That's insane. That is crazy to me. If you're someone who can feel these these changes during your menstrual cycle, like, please let us know. I really want to know what it feels like. It's not something that I've... (laughs) ever thought about describe the pain to us describe the pain to us yeah give us a really in detailed like email or something (laughs) not weird at all no and then we get on to the luteal phase so here we have peaking in progesterone levels your estrogen even though it dipped during your ovulation it begins to rise a little bit again so if nothing happens if no conception occurs then your progesterone levels, estrogen begin to decline. And of course, with these kind of declining levels of hormones, you have changes to the uterus lining, which we will come on to. However, if conception does occur, we talked about the egg being in a sack of cells that goes on to maintain the levels of progesterone, which is important for the maintenance of the uterine lining, which is also important for implantation and pregnancy. That makes so much sense as to why birth control works, because of Obviously, during this kind of stage of the menstrual cycle, the progesterone and estrogen is declining, which that happens if Mm -hmm. you're not pregnant. But obviously, if you're on birth control, then you've got that Mm -hmm. stable level of estrogen progesterone. So your body thinks that it's pregnant. That's so clever. Just to be clear, what are the roles of estrogen and progesterone? So estrogen is involved in the repairing and thickening of the uterus lining and progesterone kind of maintains that uterine lining. Interesting. And so this is where we go into the uterine cycle, which can be broken down Mm -hmm. into menstrual... Oh my God, (laughs) big words here, guys. (laughs) Good luck. Menstrual, proliferative, secretory, and a premenstrual phase. So the menstrual is kind of explanatory. It's where the shedding of the uterine lining occurs, called the endometrium. And the tissue kind of dies and falls Mm -hmm. away. Of course, this is a time of the cycle where um, many people are prone to period pains. And so the scientific term of period pain would be dysmenorrhea. Um, And it happens because you have your uterine muscles, the the walls, the walls of your uterus has some muscle tissue and that contracts. And so when there's that squeezing of your uterus, the blood supply is restricted to certain parts of that 
of your uterus. So not enough oxygen, which means pain. And there's also some research to indicate indicate that the release of prostaglandins, which are basically lipids, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they're basically lipids that are involved in signaling and communication pathways between your cells and that can result in even more or greater contractile spasms in your uterine walls and muscles and hence the pain long-winded way of saying uterus goes squeeze you feel some pain uterus goes squeeze but also it's being restricted of oxygen so um what's the Mm. word for it ischemic your yeah ischemic yes it's actually called the scientific term i don't want to for you guys it's called ischemic Mm. necrosis that happens obviously necrosis means death yeah yeah and for that reason guys you can't just have chamomile tea to reduce the pain because (laughs) your uterine lining is literally (laughs) takes a lot more than Mm. chamomile uterine lining is literally not getting enough oxygen i'm sorry chamomile tea will probably not relieve the pain and okay before we go into the rest of the different stages you know you mentioned earlier that a lot of people Mm. would have heard of the three different stages of the ovarian cycle but often people think that's all there is to it and so i came across this reel that was kind of describing this it's not four stages menstruation follicular ovulation and luteal it's actually two completely different systems running together because you have your uteruses going through changes and then you have like a hormonal cycle and so yeah it's quite interesting that would you call it a myth maybe just a lack of there's a little bit of misinformation there which is took me by surprise because i thought it was pretty straightforward yeah i don't know if it's a misinformation more than a miscommunication because it's true that obviously these cycles happen but people are more aware of the ovarian cycle i think because that's more i don't know if it's more well researched or well known or it's just easier to communicate Mm. than um the uterine cycle but yeah i don't it's just important to note that these kind of happen synergistically they work together yeah okay so back to the uterine cycle we're gonna go on to the proliferative phase which is basically where your uterus lining repairs itself the blood vessels are being repaired your endometrium lining is basically being restored yeah okay so after the proliferative (laughs) (laughs) pro you know what you're not gonna hear the word i'm sorry so we've got the secretory phase that occurs after ovulation and it's your uterus's way to kind of prepare for the guest that they're expecting to have there's the premenstrual phase and this aligns with the end of the luteal phase from the ovarian cycle and another thing that women or people with periods might experience um is kind of the onset of uh pms and so PMS would be premenstrual syndrome and can be described as the symptoms you experience prior to menstruation. It can be a week before, two weeks before, just depends on the individual really. And it can include, but is not limited to, mood swings, headaches, bloating, greasy hair, spotty skin. There's a whole list on the NHS website that you can go and have a look at. But as to why and what causes PMS, we don't know, unfortunately. We do not know. But then I I also mentioned earlier that there were other cyclical changes your body goes through apart from the ovarian and uterine cycle. Having those hormones being produced and being released in your body will have an impact on other organs or other systems within the body. For example, you have changes in your um, body temperature. It tends to increase um, after ovulation. Then it stays that way. Um, you get some breast changes, so swelling, 
and that can often be due to um, increase in estrogen and progesterone. You have psychological changes as we talked about in the PMS with mood swings etc. It's not limited to your productive organs. It has a wide impact on so many different things um, which is quite interesting to see. Mm-hmm. I, I see a symptom I guess that is more I don't hear about it much but it's obviously a thing is the body temperature increasing so it increases by 0.3 to 0.7 uh, degrees celsius about 0.5 is like the average but it can be 0.3 to 0.7 and I have like people actually feel this like people actually feel a lot hotter when they're on their period and that's I don't know why it's probably something to do with you know your organs working more so there's more residual heat etc but uh, more heat released from uh, different cycles and stuff but it's just, I think what's interesting is, you know, we're talking about the science here, right? We're talking about really the hormones, the follicles, the this and that. But this stuff, you it actually has such a tangible impact on us, on the way we deal with our yeah. periods, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, because you're dealing with those symptoms, you're trying to manage those symptoms, right? They have a, they're a literal, a tan, like you said, a tangible, a literal, a physical manifestation of these hormone fluctuations. Exactly, yeah. And you, that's what you're dealing with in real life. And I feel like we've gone retrospective. So instead of, you know, we f- figure out figuring mm-hmm. out the science of menstrual cycles first and then saying, okay, from this science, we think these symptoms can happen i feel like it's been more backwards it's been like these symptoms happen we oh it might be linked to the menstrual cycle let's look back and to see why which is i don't know it's an interesting Mm -hmm. way of going about things i think but don't you think that occurs in all fields of medicine you what you see in front of you are the symptoms and you have to discover why that's happening to the person and then you Mm -hmm. based on what you see you go and you figure out the physiology and the pathways behind a disease a condition or even just normal or a quote-unquote normal body function i think i do see that but i think with this case it's more interesting to me right because Mm -hmm. when it comes to a disease like the onset of a disease it's typically quite obvious that something is quote-unquote wrong right yeah you don't know what you don't know how that has gone to that stage necessarily but it's quite obvious whereas when it comes to periods and the way that we interact with periods and our symptoms often time a lot of the symptoms that we do feel of pms for example we don't see it as something inherently wrong or something inherently it's something that's supposed to just be expected normal you'd say quote-unquote normal (laughs) exactly yeah Yeah. so i guess i think that's why i find this a retrospective approach to pms symptoms more interesting because it's just something that's seen as normal or we're supposed to just deal with it kind of thing yeah yeah so do you think the reason the way we're looking at this whole phenomena pms etc is a reason we have limited research I do. I kind of... So Mm -hmm. the limitations that we have in medicine, and I'm speaking as a biochemistry graduate, not as a medical student um, or a biomedical scientist. But I think a huge limitation we have is that we do go for the symptom approach where we look at the symptom, we look at potential pathways that that symptom might have occurred from and try to figure out from there when Mm -hmm. really the whole body works together in a way right like there's different cycles that work together so if you go through the Mm -hmm. symptom approach you might look at one cycle 
but then you don't look at the other one that's it's intertwined with which yeah, yeah i don't and also there's a whole thing of things are not looked at unless mm-hmm. someone deems them as serious so when it comes to period symptoms like the headaches the nausea the this and that because it's seen as normal there's not gonna be research into it because people don't want to spend money on something that's yeah. normal I, th- I went on a little tangent there <laughs> No, it's quite interesting. It's more of the nuances around the everything. Cause yeah, it, and um, yeah, and the way that we interact with our periods is actually really like we mentioned the science side. We talked about the hormones, the this and that, but a lot of the way we interact with it, with our periods and the symptoms and the nuances around it, are beyond mm-hmm. that. There are a lot more social as well. We thought it'd be nice to go ahead and look at a couple of posts on Reddit. And look at the more social side and the the different myths, would you say, perpetuated around periods. But within different communities, depending on the way they view periods, and a lot of them view them in the same way, (laughs) even in Western communities not long ago, were thinking the same way, that periods can be shameful, there's something to hide, period talks, no, no. (laughs) Yeah, and that creates a perfect foundation for a lot of myths to go around unchecked, I think. This is a public Reddit post and no breach of confidentiality here. Ever thought of going on a juice cleanse to detox your body? Head over to thegrowthmedium.com to find out exactly why you don't really need to. So... This is a post on r slash raised by narcissists. Gosh. So the question we're asking here is, or this person posted on r slash raised by narcissist, is were periods a taboo slash shameful subject in your home? So this is a question. It's ridiculous because literally half of the population has them. It's not some secret. But my mum would always whisper to me about period stuff if my dad was around or pull me aside to talk to me about it. She once took me to CVS all the way downtown away from where we live because she didn't want me to be embarrassed about someone I knew seeing me by a period cup. My dad would get mad if he heard us talking about periods. I mean, if you're a grown man, you should be able to handle a little blood, but I guess not. Right, so this is quite interesting. So, what are your thoughts? I mean, it sounds about right. I mean, when I say that, it's <laughs> I don't mean it's the right thing to do. I mean, that's what I feel like our attitude towards periods has been for the longest time. I feel like only recently we're talking about mm-hmm. periods and menstru- menstrual cycles and all that more. Yeah. And I wouldn't even say like the last five years, it's probably the last year, the last two years where we're talking about it more. I I think it's a quite an interesting thing because I feel like this stigma or this shame, it's not, I wouldn't, it's kind of a stigma, but I think it's more a shame. Mm. The shame that we have about periods and menstrual products, it transcends communities. Like it's not something that's specific yeah. to one society. I remember being really, so I got my period really young and my mum would be the one who buys the pads and stuff. But as I got older, like kind of mid-teens, like 14, 15, 16, I would also go and buy pads for myself. I remember if I went to like the chemist, the pharmacy, um, to buy pads, 
the bag that they would give it in was slightly see-through so you could see the pads and I would be so ashamed it's funny you say that because that's basically if i was out buying sanitary towels as well or the hygiene products whatever i needed basically with my mom i'd always give it to my mom to hold because i didn't want Mm -hmm. to be seen holding it myself like and i wouldn't say that i've grown up in an environment where it's considered shameful but there's still that somehow of kind of that's been imparted onto me or like an adopted Mm. behavior and why yeah so in my in my, where, like, the way I grew up, it wasn't necessarily a shameful thing, but it was something that you're supposed to, like... No, it, okay, it was a shameful thing. It's something that you're <laughs> supposed to keep to yourself. Um, But it was very much perpetuated by, like, the women in my, kind of, as I was growing up. Because my dad, for example, he's fine with mm-hmm. it. Like, he does not care. He's quite, um, he's quite sympathetic to it, which is nice. It, yeah, it's really nice. But it's more like, for example, like, I've been to Bangladesh a few times, right? And Bangladesh is a completely different scenario when it comes to this stuff. You, like, my family, my, like, female members of my family would ask, oh, can you wrap it up in a black bag and, like, wrap it up really tightly and stuff? Wait, they're asking this of you? They're not asking me. They're asking, like, if, so let's say they go out and buy pads, right? Oh, okay. Okay. And the shop mm-hmm. owners, generally speaking, are men. Um, in Bangladesh, they're generally men. They'd ask them, "Oh, put it in a black bag." And sometimes yeah. the men would just put it in a black bag themselves and like tie it really tight. They know the drill, or is that because they know the drill? They know the drill. <laughs> they know the drill. I think it's something okay. that's quite like it just seems like an unspoken rule that that's what you're supposed to do because it's shameful to be carrying such a thing. Like, like mm. if you show people that you're getting pads, what are people going to think of you? It's mm. Ridiculous now i would say i do not feel that shame like yeah i'm sorry like it's a very natural process that happens to so many people every month yeah i don't see why there needs to be a shame around it Mm -hmm. i don't understand where the shame originates from though see neither do i like what is the basis of this shame like it's it's just blood you know what i think like the origin of it is different for different societies so i feel like in the u in the uk for example the shame as we talked about with eleanor's episode was very much more to do with women are supposed to rest a lot during Mm -hmm. it she's supposed to you know not work not do any hard things and there was a shame if you did go and do that because it was seen as unfeminine Right. Or, for example, if you were introspective and you started talking about your pain and what you were experiencing, that was seen as a symptom of hysteria. Exactly. You were basically considered mental for talking about this. Exactly. And having open conversations about it and being very introspective about you and your body. Yes, Mm -hmm. you're right. So that's, I guess, where that would originate from. But in general, with this stuff, I think the impacts it can have on people are so profound the shame the impacts it can have on people because there's always like there's the small stuff of oh i'm a little bit shy when i'm going out and buying them the it can scale up to something huge where let's say i'm giving a really weird example here but it's not exaggerated because this happens but i mean let's say you're um you have a partner long-term partner who's a male who doesn't understand things about periods you're going through intense pain every month and then he's too ashamed to go get you what you need i feel like that's something that happens a lot more than we'd like to admit that kind of stuff it has an impact not only on the women in that relationship but also that kind of relationship to the kids that they might have it's a whole vicious cycle i think i think this is quite an unsatisfying way to end the episode because i wish i could come up with a solution to um 
not feel so shameful about our periods there isn't a solution but i do want to end it here and i do want to say if you do have questions about periods about your menstrual cycle please i know there are people who are ashamed to go to the gp but check out your gp and if you're ashamed if you want to be knowledgeable before you go to that there are so many really really intelligent and evidence-based practitioners online on instagram who you can learn a lot from Mm -hmm. who i'm sure would be more than happy to help you out i don't think per se that they can give medical advice online over dms but just to reassure you having those conversations but also if you ever feel that you're not kind of knowledgeable enough of what's going on with you that's where i think these instagram practitioners can be really helpful not to get advice from but to just kind of get an idea of you know a lot of them post infographics so if you find an infographic Mm -hmm. that is related to what you think is wrong with you that's something that you could bring up later on in a discussion with a gp it's just for your own knowledge really yeah would do you have any advice yourself in terms of kind of getting over that that shame and fear or kind of just shyness around the whole topic because we both said that we've experienced it at some point when was a turning point where you just don't care anymore um i don't think there was a turning point specifically it's more that i'm someone who's quite I mean, I have an entire science and health podcast. I talk about like kind of gross things all the time. So I say gross in quote on in quotes because obviously this isn't gross. But I think really getting comfortable with the fact that this is your body. This is what's going on with your body. And you deserve to feel comfortable with whatever is going on with that. So if it's, you know, this, you're having a really painful period this day and you need someone to go out and get you painkillers. I think it's about getting comfortable with that. I don't know, it's a very weird tip. I think the more you get comfortable kind of learning about it, talking about it with your peers, the more you will feel less shameful about it. Yeah, just eventually the novelty of the the shyness will eventually wear out if you keep just reminding yourself that this is my body, this is normal, and this is literally what happens to millions and billions of women everywhere in the world. It's a very common thing. And being comfortable and celebrating your body is important because it's amazing. Yeah. And I think these tips also work for if you feel shameful about other things re- related to your body, which I think is kind of needless to say, right? But I know a lot of women who feel shameful when they go and pick up birth control, for example. I think, mm. again, it, the novelty wears off the more and more you talk about it, the more and more you do it, but also educating yourself will be helpful too. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I think this is where we can wrap up today's episode. Thank you all so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope we alleviated some of your fears and just provide a good introspect into how your body works, how the menstrual cycle works, which is quite interesting. There's obviously a lot more to it than what we described and discussed today. We've barely scraped the surface, but it's it's a nice overview. Don't forget to rate and review us before you leave. All our sources will be left in the show notes. Also make sure to give us a follow on Instagram and TikTok. Links to that are also in the show notes. And look out for next week's episode where we talk about all things PCOS. Also, we'll link some good OBGYNs and everything in our show notes as well. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Let us know your thoughts down below in the review section. We love hearing from our audience.
Absolutely. Also, check us out on Instagram at The Growth Medium. We have loads of infographics and fun reels for you to share with friends and family. And don't forget to follow us too. If you have a topic you're passionate about or a story you want to share, then come and join us. Send in your application over on thegrowthmedium.com. Oh, and we've got some freebies and articles and lots more on there too. Come back next Monday for another episode of The Growth Medium. Bye. Bye.